Anything you'd like to share? No? Okay. I shouldn't do stuff like that. Um, you never know who I'm going to call on, Misha Cooper. Would you stand? No, sorry. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, today I'm bringing a message called Taking a Punch. Taking a Punch. And I want to say at the outset, I am not advocating violence. And seriously, if you're in a violent relationship, you don't need to stay in it and get hit. That's not part of what relationships should look like. But I, I want to help us understand that you do in life often, or at least at times, have to know how to take a hit, take a punch. Something happens to you. Probably one of the most ferocious heavyweight boxers of all time was Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson used to get interviewed a lot, and he was um, he won his first 19 fights by knockout. Twelve of those in the first round, if you can imagine uh, the ferociousness of this guy back in the 80s and 90s. He was amazing. And one time he got interviewed, and they were asking him about an opponent he was about to fight, and he said, what do you think the strategy is going to be when he comes to fight you? And he said, listen, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And for Tyson, that was really true because you could see when he, would, when he would get an opponent, he would hit him in the face, it, they just went into survival mode. He was known as one of the greatest, most powerful punchers of all time. And their whole strategy was gone. It was worthless at that point. They were just trying to survive the first round, and often they did not survive the first round. Miami Dolphin quarterback and Phil Bixby favorite, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, who Phil doesn't like. He's great, though, right? He has spent this entire offseason. One of the main things he has been doing is to study jujitsu. Do you know why? So he can learn how to fall. Because when he falls, he hits his head, and when he hits his head, he gets a concussion, and his plans go away, and the, the plans for the Miami Dolphins to win a Super Bowl go out the window, right, Gina, season ticket holder? Um, so... Um, he needs to learn how to fall. So he needs to learn how to take a punch, right? Because when he gets hit, he hits his head, and that's the end of his plans. Is that enough sports illustrations so far? Well, the Miami Heat have been known as the best team in the NBA at taking a hit because they take more charges than any other team in the league, and that means that they step in front of the defender and they take contact, and the defender then is knocked down. He has to be willing to be knocked down. And when that happens, the offensive player gets a foul and the defensive team gets the ball. It's important to know how to take a punch, how to take a hit. Paul takes a hit, literally, in the passage we're studying today. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 30. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 30. And as we frequently say here, we preach the actual Bible here at First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. We teach it from this or from this, either way, um, but we preach the Bible. We don't skip around. We go almost all the time. We go right through Scripture, so we're going through the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 23, 22 and 23 right now. Because it's so important. There's one thing we can do. We can open God's Word and proclaim it, right? Um, it's what we're all about here. We're all about Scripture. So Paul is about to get punched in the mouth. Look at Acts chapter 22, verse 30, and it says this. 
But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why, why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down to see to set before them. Now here's the setting. Paul has been accused of bringing Gentiles, the unclean, into the clean place, which is the temple. And it has been an incredible uproar in Jerusalem. And the Jews have, have made this accusation, even though there's no evidence that it ever happened. And they're wanting to get rid of Paul. Why? Because Paul has been going to the non-Jews. He's been going to the Gentiles. He's been going to people who the Jews don't really like and don't really think deserve to hear the message of God. But really, it's all about the message of Jesus. And so they were about to kill him. And so Lysias, who is the tribune, the Roman leader of the army, because Rome is the ruler of the world, and Israel is essentially a vassal state at this point. They're under the control of Rome. And Lysias wants to get to the bottom of this. So last week we talked about that Lysias was about to, was about to beat the truth out of him. He was about to flog him, had him bound, and then Paul asserts his Roman citizen. Hey, you can't do that. I'm a Roman citizen. Just whoa. Because if being a Roman citizen, if you're bound without a trial or if you're flogged without a trial, it's a big deal. You are going to be, if you do that, you are going to be uh, disciplined and possibly even executed if that's something you do. So Lysias has to not flog him. And so he's, I got to get at why this guy's such a problem because I have to keep the peace here in Jerusalem. And so he brings Paul in front of the council. He calls the Jewish leaders together, chief priest, and it turns out, we'll find out in a minute, it's, it's the Sanhedrin made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. We'll talk about them in just a moment. And he brings them unbound. So he's bringing Paul, not bound with chains, and so he's making it clear that Paul is a Roman citizen, and so hopefully the people will behave. Um, and so he brings Paul to meet with them and to hear what he has to say. And for Paul, it's a big moment. Because remember, opponents are opportunities, right? Opponents are opportunities. Always remember when you face an opponent, it is an opportunity to bring God glory in whatever setting that you're in. And Paul knows that this is the council, and these are important people. And what is Paul all about? He just wants to share the message of Jesus. That's what he's all about. So this is a group. He's ready to go. He wants to say what he needs to say. And so he begins in verse 1 of chapter 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers. I love that. Brothers. I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul saying, I have not done what you think I've done. I am innocent. Um, this is his first real defense of what uh, they accused him of. He says, listen, according to your law, I haven't broken any law. I have a clear conscience before you today. Verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to punch him in the mouth. To strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. 
Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Paul is letting them have it. Now, Ananias, the high priest, this is not the Ananias, incidentally, back when Paul is saved that was the one who helped him get baptized. This is a different Ananias. This is the chief priest who, incidentally, is known to be, and his, his Josephus, his historian, will tell us that Ananias is known to be quick-tempered, and he's known to be very pro-Rome, really kind of more in favor of Rome than his own people. And so he is known to be kind of a bad character. As a matter of fact, he will be slain later by his own people because he is so pro-Rome. And obviously, this act to cause Paul to be struck reveals what Ananias already thinks. He's not interested in what Paul has to say. He's wanting him smacked when he opens his mouth and just says that he's innocent. He's already made up his mind. He doesn't like Paul. He wants Paul to be, really, to be killed. And really, this scene is reminiscent of Jesus at his trial, isn't it, before the chief priest. Remember, Jesus said, ask those who've heard me speak, and they hit him in the face. And Jesus said, go find witnesses if you have this against me. Jesus acts not quite so, he doesn't lose his temper like it seems like Paul does. But Paul says something very, very strong. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's quite a metaphor, isn't it? If you're accused of being a whitewashed wall, really what he's saying is there's just been painted over a lot of rot around you. Because that's what they used to do. They used to whitewash crumbling walls and crumbling so that it looked like the wall was in good shape. But the reality is it was falling apart. Jesus uses a similar metaphor in Matthew 23 when he is talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Paul's saying, you're you're frauds. You're hypocrites. There's just rot behind this veneer of white. You see, getting punched often reveals how you truly feel and what you really believe. When you get hit, There's some things that come out and some things maybe you've tried to reveal, some things you've tried to be nice about. But when something happens to jar you and you actually say what you really think, some things can come out that maybe you didn't even know were there. A really wise person once told me, for some people, you've got to get them a little bit mad in order to find out what they really think. Are you that way? Sometimes we're very nice. I've seen this in marriage a lot where you talk to couples and, and the wife will say, you know what, I can't get to him. I can't get him to say how he really feels. I have to say something outrageous just to get him to respond. And then when he does respond, she wishes he didn't. See, sometimes it takes something to get you to find out what's really inside, and you've got to evaluate that when it comes out. What's really in there? Was I really right in saying what I said? The punch in the mouth is hurtful. It's surprising. 
shocking. It's threatening. It demands a response. It requires that you defend. And often it changes your plans. Steve, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What, what would be other examples? Well, getting punched in the mouth, here's some examples. First, getting punched in the mouth. But more likely, maybe being cheated on. Maybe receiving a dire diagnosis. Maybe a close loved one passes away suddenly. Maybe a lost relationship. Maybe just a poor performance review at work. Maybe severe disrespect. A false accusation. Unexpected loss. There's things that just kind of, oh, they, they take your breath away. You got hit. You got to figure out what to do next. And you wonder, sometimes you wonder, well, did I deserve this? Is this right? Is this wrong? Uh, should I have anticipated this? After all, I'm in a boxing ring. I should expect to get hit in the face, right? What does it say? And maybe there's some things that came out when I got hit that are wrong and that I've been harboring that I need to repent of and I need to apologize for. Or maybe I just found out the truth of what I really believe and I'd be willing, unwilling to accept that. But what happens after you get hit in the mouth is really important. It's interesting what Paul does in verse 4. It says, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And they're saying, Paul, your, your actions are unacceptable. Would you revile God's high priest? Verse 5, and Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Really a crazy verse in Scripture. It's not what you expect. Would you revile God's high priest? Paul says, I didn't know that's who he was. And there's debate among commentators as to whether or not Paul really didn't know or whether he's just being sarcastic. I didn't know he was the high priest, the way he's acting, right? You know, you think you deserve respect. Well, I didn't even know he didn't act like a high priest, so I'm treating him like he think he's acting. I think that's unlikely. Um, because in a couple of verses, we'll see where Paul will say, when Paul perceives that there's Pharisees and Sadducees present, it's almost like Paul doesn't understand who his audience is initially. Could be that because this is not an official meeting that the high priest doesn't have his normal clothing on. Could also be that Paul's eyesight is bad at this point. Uh, we don't know, but it seems like Paul is telling the truth when he says, I didn't know he was the high priest. These are definitely Paul's real feelings toward the Jewish leadership. I didn't know he was a high priest. Paul is doing what is very, very effective when you get punched, is he's de-escalating. He's not trying to build an argument and trying to get into a big fight. He's not trying to stir up more trouble. He's de-escalating. Hey, I agree with you that you shouldn't speak evil of someone who rules the people. He doesn't refute the truth that he said, but he de-escalates the situation by agreeing with what he can agree with. Which, incidentally, if you're ever in an argument, you ever get hit, it's a good idea to de-escalate the situation. Once tempers start to flare, you need to step away. You're not really going to get anywhere at this point. Find a way to take some of the air out of the room 
find a way to step back a little bit. Um, Incidentally, if you're married and you have this issue and you get into an argument with your spouse and they say, I'm just going to step into the next room for a minute, let them. Let them. Let the situation de-escalate. And that's what Paul is doing here. Um, He agrees with what he can agree with. And then he gets back on course. So remember, Paul's whole purpose is to share the good news of Jesus. Verse 6. And now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Crazy. Paul actually stands up and says, I'm I'm one of you. I'm like you. Um, What I want you to understand is you Pharisees are so close. You're so close to Jesus Christ because I'm really talking about the resurrection that Jesus Christ is making available. This resurrection that you Pharisees believe in, it, it's, it's something that Jesus has made. You, you're, you're right on so many fronts. You've just got to take the step to understand that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. And he really did die. And he really did rise from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man, and if a spirit or an angel, what if a a spirit or an angel talked to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now, so you've got a divided council. Part is Pharisee, part is Sadducee. The Sadducees essentially, to put it simply, didn't really believe that the spirit world was really impacting the earth at the time. They probably did believe in angels in the sense that the angels appeared in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but they didn't really believe that there were these angels around. And um, some of the Pharisees, there was a belief that people would come back from the dead as messengers and would be around on earth. They were trying to figure all this out. Uh, The Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all, which is why they were so sad, you see. Get that? That's John MacArthur. That's old. It's not that funny, but I have to use it every time we talk about Sadducees. I would be sad, wouldn't it? There's no resurrection. Well, I'm getting older. That's not good. That's not good, right? But they had a sharp disagreement, even though they both both of these groups were keepers of the law. The Pharisees believed in all that. They believed in angels. They believed in there's going to be some great resurrection at some point. And Paul's saying, I'm just filling in the gap for you. This is how it's going to work. Jesus Christ paid for it. So they get really mad at each other. They don't really, they're not really interested in Paul's message. They're just arguing over this issue. It's like they would rather argue than hear the truth. Have you ever been there? so important that we focus on the truth of Jesus, that he paid a price for you and I to be resurrected. 
I mean, we talked about primary identity last week. It's so important that we understand that is our primary identity. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate our primary identity and remember that by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we just want to argue. All they want to do is argue, and it got so bad that the Romans had to step in and rescue Paul. It's a stunning scene. I'm sure Paul was thinking, you know what, these are my former colleagues. Probably mm, 15, 20 years prior, Paul was a Pharisee. He knows some of these guys. He probably trained with some of these guys in the room. And his heart was, I want to reach those guys. I, I was where they were. Why can't they see what I've seen? So at this point, you can just kind of feel the disappointment in Paul that really most of them didn't get it. Now, some stood up and said, hey, maybe this guy's right, or maybe there's nothing wrong with him, and so maybe there was a little bit of fruit, but overall, you can feel Paul grieving, and he needs some encouragement. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for if you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Has Jesus ever stood by you and encouraged you? Maybe that's what you need today. The Bible says that the Lord, which means Jesus, stood by him and encouraged him. Paul, don't don't worry. You're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. These people aren't listening to you. But you remember, Paul, I told you they were not going to listen to you. When Paul was sharing his testimony before the Jewish people, he talked about the fact that after he was saved, he was in the temple and Jesus had told him, these people aren't going to listen to you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And Paul goes, but, but they, they should. I'm one of them. And Jesus said, they're not going to listen to you. And this is affirmed now. They're not listening to you. Sometimes we need that affirmation. Because life can punch us in the mouth. And discouragement can be very real. Let me ask, tell you, if that's you, I want to encourage you to listen for the encouragement of Jesus Christ. Spend some focused time with him and his word. Say, Jesus, I need some encouragement today. I've been hit, and I've been hit bad. And sometimes it's something that you got hit with a long time ago that every now and then just jumps up and hits you again because it happens. Jesus is standing there saying, child, I want to encourage you. I told you in this world you were going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm with you. And he may even do what he did for Paul. Paul, He's telling Paul, listen, you're going to go to Rome and do the same thing you did here. And it may be that God is moving you to another sphere of influence, that it's time to move on from trying to reach certain people that have refused important that we listen to him sometimes we have to move on from people that we love we've tried to reach we care about they're similar to us doesn't mean we quit praying for them doesn't mean we quit loving them it means we're going to go on to rome to the place where god wants to use us wants us to share our message so today let me give you a simple way to deal with you get punched in the mouth 
first need to examine your reaction. What's the truth of what you found out? Examine your reaction. Is there truth? Were you wrong? What's the response? When you get hit, how you feel, those need to be processed. You need to consider those feelings, what truth came out. Second, look to de-escalate. Don't go in, get into a chain of argument, or don't get into a chain of saying, God, this was wrong that you allowed this to happen to me. I'm angry that you let this happen to me. I can't handle the fact that you did this. You need to de-escalate and realize, you know, God, you let your own son suffer. He got hit in the mouth in a way they wouldn't on your child. Third, you need to stay with the plan. What is the plan that God has for your life? First and foremost, it's to be his follower and to represent him well in every situation. That's who you are. Don't let your enemy or the situation or the opponent get you off track. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who had a tragedy in their life and it crippled them from following Jesus because they never got over it. They never got over it. There's tragedy in every life. I've also known people who had a tremendous tragedy in their life, and they are amazing because they trusted Jesus even in the midst of that tragedy. They trusted that they got to know him in a way they never would have known him any other way. Stay with the plan. And finally, look to Jesus for encouragement and direction. If you don't understand, it makes sense. There's a lot of things we don't understand. And you may never understand why you got hit. But if you can lean into Jesus, increase your time with him. Remember, as a church, we're all about what? We're all about trusting rather than trying, investing rather than working. When you stay with the plan and you're simply going to follow Jesus, you're letting him do the work, you're just going to invest more and more of that's his call on our lives. Again, let me just say again, I'm not advocating violence, and I'm not saying you should stay in a situation where you're constantly being hit. But let me just say this. You have to understand getting hit is normal in our lives. Maybe not physically, but there are, normal, there are things that happen in our lives that are shocking, hurtful, surprising. You have to be able to take that hit and stay on track. Stay on course that Jesus is absolutely worth following. Right now, we're going to get ready to celebrate, to participate in the Lord's Supper. And when we do that, we're saying to Jesus, you are my identity. You died for me. Now, let me encourage you, if you're feeling a little bit angry with Jesus right now, or angry with the Lord that something hasn't been taken care of, I want you to deal with that right now. To follow Jesus and say, I trust you with everything. I don't need any more than you, Jesus, dying for me. That's what we're saying. I, 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 if things go bad, if I get a disease, if people are, listen, I want you to know, Jesus, that I'm all yours. So we're going to take a moment before the Lord, and I want you to be faithful to repent of your sin. Because when we take these elements, we're saying, Jesus, we're living a repentant life because your blood covers our sin. Let's take just a moment, just bow your head, spend some time before the Lord, and ask him to reveal any, in the, any sin in your life.
thought of you can stay. But we get confused. We get distracted. And Lord, when we get hit, we can forget our faith. But you, Jesus, stayed on course. You were hit. You were struck. They tried to kill you many times. You stayed on course. And you sacrificed your body on the cross. So God, we repent of our sins. We admit it. Lord, we don't come here claiming to have earned your favor ever. The only favor we have is because the blood of Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins. And we trust you with our lives today and for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. If the band comes on stage, I want to ask you if you can come and receive these elements. Uh, if you are have been saved and baptized, um, you're welcome to come and join us. First time I had hope. 
took the bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat it. In the same way he took the cup, this is my blood, the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Nothing strong. answered. We like to spend time with people when they're having questions about Christ and we want to make sure that we're interpreting what he's doing in their life. So thank you for being a part of worship today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go. Father, we praise you, Jesus. We don't have anything without you. You're our identity. You've saved us. We didn't earn it. That's what you chose to do. We praise you for that. God, thank you for these people. As they go, as they enter their rest of their week, the rest of this afternoon, Lord, may we all represent you well, Lord, as our primary identity. In Jesus' name I pray.